Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethics Technologies based in Belgium. Today, I'm not alone. In fact, I'm with another fellow follower from Italy. I'm with Erika Agostinelli, data scientist at IBM. Hi, Erika, how are you doing today? Fine, thank you very much, Francesco, for having me here. <laughs> it's a pleasure indeed, and today we're going to speak about a lot of great stuff, as always. So just a brief introduction, and then I let her speak. Erika is senior data scientist and AI consultant, part of the data science and AI elite team at IBM. I'm going to ask what that means, because I'm really curious now. <laughs> so, <laughs> she, she works well. Let me let me finish. There is more. <laughs> she works. She works across a range of industries, facilitating customers in their journey to artificial intelligence. And I know that Erica, you are very eager to explain what that is. So please go ahead. <laughs> so well, thank you. Um, uh, so as Francesco already said, data science and AI lead team is um, uh, across industry. Uh, client-facing team. So first of all, we are an international team. I'm part of the, of course, EMEA group. I'm based in Bristol at the moment, but we have our counterparts in uh, North America and also Asia Pacific. And what we do in our uh, everyday life is to just collaborate with clients to kickstart their journey to AI. We are also a cross-functional team, meaning that um, they are not just data scientists, but we are um, a heterogeneous group with data engineers, data visualization specialists, and also AI strategists. Oh, that's cool. We're going to get into much more details later during the show. Uh, but one thing that really urged me saying is that uh, you are supporting women in data science. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, it's uh, definitely um, an initiative that I'm very um, passionate about, uh, just because, of course, I have done my share of, um, uh, of experience in the job. I want to help, uh, you know, young uh, women data scientists uh, um, in sharing my experience, really. That's what it is. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful action, in fact. Uh, to be honest with you, in, during my career, I've seen more and more women in data science. Uh, yes. uh, and so that's really, really a very, a very big uh, leap uh, I, I strongly believe that uh, the our community is getting more and more you know diverse which is always a good thing of course not only yeah. people from different backgrounds but also gender equality is absolutely of absolute importance I, I would say all right Erica I think that it's time for you to tell us about some of your pet projects or background and definitely about your position in the elite team at IBM Yes, so just to give you a little bit of a background, um, so I was born and raised in Milano, so Italy. I studied there uh, my university years. I did my bachelor degree in economics, um, but that specific bachelor was packed with also informatics and statistics elements into it. So at the end of that bachelor, I really wanted to um, go further down the statistical road. So I did a master's there. Then I worked in Milano for, for a while and then I moved to the UK seven years ago. And um, uh, there a little bit, um, and then I still wanted to go further with my studies and I did another master's degree, this time in human and computer interaction, which was a fantastic mix of uh, cognitive science and programming skills. 
And that's where, when I finished, uh, I got my first job in IBM as a cognitive engineer, which is um, a specialist in AI application. Um, uh, and after that, um, I wanted to do more data science type of job, so back to my roots. And that's where I had my opportunity to, to join the data science lead, which was a, a newborn group at that time. Um, and uh, well, the rest is history. So um, as I said before, you know, we work with, uh, with clients a lot. Um, my work is really a mixture of consultancy and also uh, hard coding skills. <laughs> so um, we are a use case driven group, which means that uh, we are going to stay with the client, uh, you know, um, as a one group for a period of time, but that period is um, pretty short. So we have usually like six weeks project engagements, but this means that we need to really pick our battles um, uh, with, um, with focus because we need to pick something that will make an impact, a business impact uh, for the customer, but at the same time, it has to be feasible, right? So uh, that's already you know, part of a very important piece of work that we do. So trying to understand where to focus our energy and uh, tackle uh, with, uh, with the technology that we know. Um, most of the time is open source um, uh, and on top of uh, an IBM platform. So that's usually the, how we work. Um, and other projects that I'm uh, passionate about uh, in, in IBM is um, everything around explainable AI, um, AI ethics, responsible computing. And I think in IBM, there's this thing called Academy of Technology, which is, uh, I feel like it's so cool because it gives you the time to pick your passion project. And uh, well, in my case, I'm, I'm picking things uh, absolutely related to explainable AI at the moment and responsible yeah. computing, as I said. Yeah. Which is super fascinating. I mean, it's, uh, it's something that, of course, we have discussed quite ex extensively in this show in other episodes, mm -hmm. but we are never tired of speaking about explainable, to, to explain explainable AI, <laughs> pun <laughs> intended here. <laughs> Um, no, but it's seriously interesting because, I mean, now you mentioned, for example, AI ethics and uh, explainable AI are probably the, the, the top two buzzwords, if I can say, you know, in, in a, with a positive accent, of course, um, after deep learning and all the other buzzwords that we know. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that these two are quite interesting and quite useful. And what we have to try to do today in this show is make it, you know, digestible to the normal people out there uh, mm -hmm. so that they can understand what do we mean by AI ethics. So let's start from ethics and mm -hmm. uh, I let the experts speak. Erika, what is AI ethics? Is there a definition? Is there a background that we need to know? That's already, you know, um, um, an interesting question, because if you go out there, you will be able to see like many companies, also consultancy companies that have um, its own page with the description. The definition changes a little bit, but I'm seeing that most of them usually overlaps uh, quite heavily. Um, usually AI ethics um, is a set of values, you know, and principles that has um as an aim to have a moral conduct in the development and use of uh, artificial intelligence technologies, right? So I can definitely give you an, um, an insights around what IBM 
um, uh, take is on uh, AI ethics by following what Francesca Rossi, who is our AI global uh, ethical uh, AI leader here in IBM. And those principles are five. The first one is explainability. So because trust comes through understanding, right, uh, a specific technology. So we, we want to make sure that the end user can understand what the AI solution is about. Transparency, again, very connected to explainability. The transparency reinforces trust. So we want to make sure that there are no um, uh, hidden aspects of the solution. The third one is fairness. So ensuring that the solution is trying to mitigate the bias and uh, monitoring the drift of, of the AI solution itself. The fourth uh, principle is robustness. So robustness comes um, in regards to security, right? You, you want the AI solution to be able to defend itself against adversarial threats. Um, and finally, privacy. So privacy, just because we want to be able to safeguard the data uh, through the entire cycle. So those are the five principles uh, for AI ethics. And, and this, this is amazing because all these principles are, in fact, what practitioners are trying to tackle, probably not in, in the best possible way, because there is no standard around this, uh, these five concepts, um, except probably best practices that people are trying to apply as a, as a de facto standard now, just because people keep using, you know, you mentioned, for example, data privacy, um, you mentioned mm -hmm. robustness to adversarial attacks. We've also discussed about that with, for example, uh, deep learning models and computer vision and, and, and trying to fool the network <laughs> and classifying yeah. different mm -hmm. things, right? So and, and the, the concept of AI ethics, in my opinion, becomes even more important as, as long as we keep putting AI pretty much everywhere, right? On autonomous vehicles, on you know our banks, our our grocery shop, our financial advisor, and probably our doctor tomorrow is gonna be an AI. So we better yeah. start tackling these ethical problems right now. In fact, absolutely, exactly that. Um, I think more than uh, um, a top-down requirement uh, that we are waiting at the moment, you know, just waiting for governments to put rules. I think AI ethics should be some sort of a, a movement, right? A revolution that should come from users, us, right? Because AI is actually, as you said now, it's impacting our life, uh, whether we want it or not. Um, uh, and I'm not just talking about, you know, social media, but in uh, in general speaking, uh, all the services that we are using at the moment are um, including some components of artificial intelligence at the moment. So we, we have to um, be vigilant and be aware of, of those systems. And I think it should be really coming from, uh, um, from, from people, right? The, this sort of uh, uh, requirements for more yeah. uh, ethical AI. I agree. I totally agree. And uh, I think also there should be, as you mentioned, a movement, but also a standard, because, uh, I mean, what would be the added value to practitioners at this point in time? You know, for example, researchers, AI experts, what would be the benefits that they would have because of AI ethics or AI mm -hmm. ethics principles? 
Yeah, well, so I think this should really, again, change the way we work, uh, the way we approach data science and uh, artificial intelligence use case. So before, of course, uh, there was this uh, era where everyone was focused on, uh, can we do this? It was about the possibility of the, we, we try to um, make a more performing model, you know, and, and the benefit was a bit um, myopic, if you want, you know, of course, you know, benefit of the company, uh, that totally makes sense. So there is no space to think about, uh, is, is this really what we should do, right? That's the usual questions so at the beginning you're just too focused on the capability so can we do it let's do it you know and, and try to um, push the boundaries but then I think we have reached to a point that where we should just stop a little bit and then try to see you know is this how we should be doing this because you know history showed us but there are also a lot of unintended consequences that maybe creators of application didn't even think about. So we have to be more um, aware of those things, learning from um, the past uh, really, and trying to make sure that the AI applications have those AI ethical elements embedded into the solutions and not just waiting for the worst to happen. Right. So I think the added value for practitioner is now that um, it's really, as I said, you know, changing the approach to data science, including those um, difficult questions, because I know that it's those are difficult questions, but um, it's so important. We have that responsibility. So we need to be take an active stance on how we work in, in our everyday um, projects. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I want to play devil's advocate now because I've been into large corps as well as in uh, in startups and uh, uh, very aggressive ones, <laughs> the mm-hmm. ones that are on a, on a, on a strict runway, if you know what I mean. Um, and so, my question to you, well, more than a question, is an observation. I have the feeling that. Um, AI ethics is something that only large companies can actually dare invest time and resources in. Uh, I would say that from a practical perspective, a startup that, for example, is focused on building product and selling it, uh, you know, it's going to think a bit less, let's say, about AI. It's, the, it's not going to have that the long-term vision, as you mentioned. It's going to be a bit more myopic than uh, co- corporations like IBM, mm-hmm. like the big pharmaceutical companies, for example. Uh, what's your thought on that? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. But in my view, I think it's always a win-win. Um, so let me just, you know, first of all, when, when you talk about investment, uh, um, if you're talking, of course, investing resources in research. So finding a new way to explain a model, finding a new way to do fairness monitoring. Stuff like that, of course, this implies that you need to have a strong R&D department. And that means, you know, a lot of investment for sure. But fortunately, we are living in an era where those tools, existing tools are also open sourced, right? So if if we think about investing time to implement those existing technologies into your product, at that point, that's a game changer, in my opinion. And for me, there are like two main reasons for a startup to do it anyway. Because first of all, as you said at the beginning, 
AI ethics and trustworthy AI, you know, explainable AI. It's it's something that people want, right? People are starting to be more aware, more sensitive about specific topics, trusting your providers, trusting the AI, and so on. So being able to advertise your product that which contains and, and is more ethical and so on, I think it really brings an added value to the to, to your final solution. And then secondly, as already you mentioned, regulation. So regulation will come into play also, you know, worldwide, not just in EU. In EU, we have, I think, stricter uh, laws around, you know, privacy with GDPR uh, and so on. We have um, starting to have more guidelines around, uh, you know, explainable AI and so on. But so whether you're, you want it or not, you will need to sort of um, follow those guidelines. And in a way, if you follow the strictest rules, this means that your product will be available worldwide, right? Because you are putting yourself into the strictest rule. If that works in, for example, in EU, this means that this your product will be uh, used worldwide. So there is also a company benefit that uh, comes from being one step ahead. In, in the game in just embedding those elements into your product. So in my opinion, it's still a win-win for also startups. Yeah, that's, that, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I believe that many of the issues that we face today are not just technological issues. In fact, we have technologies for a bunch of many, many more things than we believe, mm-hmm. but it's more a regulatory problem. And think about privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the day, you know, we have been uh, encrypt. We, we have always had uh, encrypting technology since the 70s. In fact, you know, the mathematics behind encryption is very well known. It's a regulatory issue when uh, no government actually imposes that, for example, emails, just to say, to, na- to name one, uh, must be encrypted, for example. And so, of course, mm-hmm. I can speak to, you know, I can use encryption only if my recipients also use encryption, which of course is, you know, it's a very large barrier there. And so I think I see an analogy with uh, uh, ethics, with explainability and all the concepts that you have mentioned as a regulatory concern. And therefore Mm -hmm. I'm trying to follow your, you know, construction, which makes perfect sense. The day governments and the day regulations will be in place, these companies, these startups that have invested and let's say wasted time, I'm quoting that, uh, on doing ethics, they would be prepared for the future anyway. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's a brilliant conclusion, Erica. I think we should switch gear. And uh, I would definitely like to expand a bit on uh, explainable AI. As I said, let's try to explain explainable. Okay. Well, explainable AI usually, um, again, really depends, right? <laughs> it depends on, on, uh, on which company you're t- taking a look at, in scientific papers, but usually is a set of processes and methods that allows human to comprehend and trust the results uh, in outputs of models, you know, of, of machine learning models. So um, what I've seen as a data scientist most of the times is this uh, focus on um, the the model itself, right? So you want to understand the rationale behind the the, the machine learning model, which usually is a black box. But more reading um, scientific papers, and especially, you know, I'm talking about IBM research. I'm starting to understand that explainable AI is even wider than, than just that. 
And one of the studies that IBM Research has done, which fascinated me, was to involve also different stakeholders of, of artificial intelligence solutions, like designers, uh, business analysts, and so on. And they have started to collect questions. What, what type of question would you ask um, uh, in order to get to know better the AI solution? And in there, I found out that there are so many other questions. For example, uh, let me give you um, an example around data. Many people were asking, uh, what training data you're using? Uh, other people were asking, well, what, if, what, what kind of output this model um, uh, will, uh, will form? in the end. So there are many different questions uh, that are part of explainable AI, right? It's because it's not just about the model itself that forms this set of processes and tools. So what they have done in the research was basically to form groups of question and, uh, um, uh, and you have like the how type of questions, the why type of question, which can be tackled by classical methodologies like in Lime and Sharp, uh, there are questions about what if, what if scenarios, again, you need to have different techniques around there. You have questions like, what, how, if I change this value, then what will happen next, you know, and so on. So I think it's easy to say that um, explainable AI, I think it's becoming wider than it was uh, uh, probably a couple of years ago, just because of that user-centric approach that um, uh, some research team are, are taking into, uh, into account. Yeah, to be honest with you, I also have a, a story to share. Uh, when I was working for a very large pharmaceutical group uh, as a senior data scientist, and of course it was many years ago, so there was not uh, no terminology, there was no explainable AI, there were deep learning <laughs> models, and, and that's it. And, uh, and in fact, there was already the, uh, you know, the idea of accepting, uh, for example, less accurate models with respect to models that people could understand. And so, for mm. example, the black box nature of the, of, you know, of a neural network, for example, was, you know, People were not really comfortable with these things. They yeah. appreciated much more, for example, decision trees or random forest to be, you know, to, to play on the very extreme <laughs> scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that was the case. So do you have a story in which ha having an explainable model was actually better than having an accurate one? Um, yeah, well, actually, yes. So again, as you say, it really depends on the use case, right? So um, uh, in my case, uh, we have done a lot of user um, interviews in, uh, in one of the projects that I, that I worked on, it was around insurance. Um, and uh, what we have noticed was this mistrust about the um, AI components. We uh, also understood that user didn't want to be uh, put out of the loop of the decision-making process, which is something that I am a, I'm a deeply believer that AI really should be augmenting uh, um, you know, humans rather than replacing them. So if I can make uh, an AI solution where the AI component uh, is just giving more information to the user in order to make a better decision, I'm all up for it, right? So in that specific use case, the the end user needed to have specific reasons 
of why to do a specific action afterwards. And uh, we have created you know, a prediction model around risk uh, of the attrition of, of a possible customer. And of course, putting that uh, element of explainability really, really changed the game in that, in, in that specific project. And also explainability doesn't necessarily mean that, um, again, you, you skip the decision maker. Explainability helped the, the decision maker to understand and to trust more the AI solution, which drives adoption afterwards, right? So it's not a one-way um, relationship, it's, it's two ways. And that I think it's it's fascinating, and uh, in that case, really augments the decision maker capability to make a more informed decision in the end. And the same thing happened in a manufacturing industry client where engineers, as you can imagine, like transparency, they they want to really understand why specific things were recommended. And same thing happened there, right? They, they want to know why a specific um, model predicted. Um, a result, and um, it's all about really being user centric. So know your knowing your end user and what they want from uh, from from the AI component. And at that point, you know, explainable AI will blend in perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you cannot buy what you don't understand. You cannot explain what you don't understand, and so you cannot do many things without understanding. Actually, the, yes. the nuts mm-hmm. and bolts of something and. And they also there the fear a little bit of uh, of being replaced. That's something that I've I've noticed. That, like no one maybe saying it loudly, but at the same time there is this concern. Instead of augmenting uh, you know, augmenting people, and uh, again it's about trust, right? Trusting the AI system uh, comes from understanding the system a little bit better. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I don't believe in replacement. I believe in evolution as we are, you know, it's always undergoing. Uh, and AI is simply one more tool that uh, is allowing us to evolve somewhere else. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. where, but in fact, yeah. we are moving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it, it happened It happened with the Industrial Revolution as well. So I don't want to open another episode. It's going to be <laughs> material oh, for that's a, long yeah. <laughs> a brand new episode. But yeah, <laughs> all right, we got it. Um, uh, Erika, I have something that actually I'm curious on a personal level, uh, being myself a still a very hardcore developer, <laughs> I get my hands dirty pretty much uh, on a daily basis still. Um, and uh, I mean, uh, would it be better to have, let's say, open source models rather than explainability uh, or explainable models? Uh, after all, one can read the code, understand, of course, if they can, uh, they can describe it. Uh, they can tell people what that code is supposed to do. What's your thought on that? Let, let's just start from from the beginning uh, around uh, you know open source versus proprietary algorithm. Sometimes proprietary algorithm are the answer for a specific company because they need to protect right their IP in some way. But let's talk about op- also open source. Open source. Uh, uh, just means that yes, you can read the code, uh, you can contribute also to the community, uh, but doesn't necessarily mean that everything is explainable just because you can read the code, right? So the the major problem is uh, around the complex models, so those black box models where they are just too complex, like neural networks that you mentioned before, gradient boosting. 
um, you know, complicated ensemble models, even if you can read the code by using an open source like scikit-learn, for example, this doesn't necessarily mean that you can provide explanation of the inner workings, the rationale behind of a specific model. So I think, you know, also in the open source world, you will still have a specific case where you have a black box instead of a white box. And uh, um, uh, you will need to also understand, you know, if you want to have a global explanation or maybe a local explanation and so on. So in the end, uh, I think uh, open source is fantastic and I actually use open source in my day-to-day -day job. So I completely understand, but still you would need to have uh, specific techniques uh, in order to make them explainable in the end. So one of the things that I would recommend for any data scientists out there that are starting out their, their journey into explainable AI is um, a, a Python library, which is you know free. Uh, you can absolutely download it. It's called AIX360. And it's done by IBM Research. They have collected many of the techniques in one place for you. Uh, you know, including LimeShap, contrastive explanations, uh, Protodash, and, and other lovely tools. But more than that, they show you which technique to use based on your necessity. So if you want to have, I don't know, a data explanation instead of model explanation, pick this. Uh, if you want to have a local explanation, pick that, and so on. So there is a, a really cool graph that allows you also to navigate this a bit complicated world. Um, I think you can agree with me, but if you start reading about explainability, it's sort of a rabbit hole at the moment, uh, also for myself. So that for me, it's a, it's a fantastic starting point for any data scientist. And indeed it is. And uh, thank you very much for sharing this with us because we're going to report uh, all these links in the show notes of this episode, as always, uh, together with some of the references of the things that you have mentioned that we have discussed today, uh, especially the, the Python tool that our listeners will definitely appreciate playing with. I include myself in that. <laughs> all right, Erika, I think we got to the end of this show, unfortunately, because I was having a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. And the, the, the question was great. Very interesting answers as well. So I really enjoyed. I hope that uh, we did a decent job explaining what explainable AI means and the reasons why we should be spending more time on AI ethics. There should be standards out there. Doesn't matter if big corporations are starting this as an initiative, there should be a revolution that, as Erica mentioned, should start from the user. We should pretend mm -hmm. ethical tools. That goes without saying. This was Erika Agostinelli, Senior Data Scientist at AI Consultant, part of the Data Science and AI Elite Team at IBM. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Francesco. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.